Happy Sunday. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. My name is Kenson Lamb, and I serve as the pastor of our Bridgeport location. Today we continue in our sermon series, Looking at the Beatitudes. And it's in these verses, Jesus shows us what it means to live in light of a kingdom in which Jesus reigns. A kingdom that has a value and ethic that is contrary to many of the values on this earth. That if you look at the first 12 verses of chapter 5, Jesus describes a life that is blessed. One that is poor in spirit, mourns sin, pursues purity, is meek. They are persecuted. These are not values celebrated in this world. Some would consider them cursed. How can you have a blessed life when it is so hard? It's because our blessedness is not dependent on good circumstances. Because when good circumstances go away, so goes our happiness. Our blessedness is rooted in our God. Our God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-loving. So as we continue to live in this COVID-19 reality and crisis, it's in these circumstances that seem so bleak. For those who patiently and humbly wait on their God and for his grace, blessed are they. So Jesus this morning is going to teach us another blessing, and that's being merciful. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, now, as we come before your word, every time we open up the pages of scripture, we hear from you. So God, help us to hear you humbly. Help us to hear you with great joy. Father, if there's any sin, any pride that might keep us from your word, Father, now would you convict us to repent of those sins. And God, as the author of James says, help us not to be just listeners of your word, hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. Father, be with us during this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. In the movie, The Karate Kid, it's a story of a teenager, Danny LaRusso, moving to California and trying to fit in. It isn't long before he gets bullied by a group of classmates who are also karate students. So in one scene, Danny is cornered and he's getting roughed up, and a Japanese landlord, Mr. Miyagi, comes in and saves the day. And then takes Danny under his wings, teaches him karate, and eventually wins a karate tournament against these very same bullies. Now, these bullies all come from the same dojo, Cobra Kai, and they're all trained with one philosophy, no mercy. You know, in one of the scenes, the teacher reminds them of their creed, and he says this to his students. We do not train to be merciful here. Mercy is for the weak. Here in the streets, in competition, a man confronts you, he is the enemy. An enemy deserves no mercy. You know, I share this with you because we are not naturally merciful people. You know, as a matter of fact, one of the most celebrated characteristics in our Western culture is mercilessness. That as we have watched the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, People admire Jordan's relentless pursuit to win, that it wasn't just to win against his competitors, it was to crush his competitors at whatever cost. For many of us, this is what we consider to be greatness. It's to stand over everyone else. 
We look at our political leaders, who you would assume during a time of national crisis would come together, but instead we see vicious attacks uh, with one another. We look at our business world, and it seems that those who are most cutthroat get the promotions and raises. Or when we're driving and someone cuts us off, our first response was, no harm, no foul, it's all good, I'm sure you're having a hard day. No, we get cut off and we say, you know, you know, you know do they want to die? Do they want to die? And during this time of COVID-19, with all the fear and uncertainty, we have seen over and over again, people are not naturally led to love and sacrifice, but to hoarding, racism, anger, and hateful rhetoric. Being merciful is not easy. You know, Jesus today is going to teach one of the most countercultural characteristics of a Christ follower, and that's extending mercy in a cutthroat world. Verse 7, blessed are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, today's beatitude begins a new shift in teaching for Jesus, that he moves from the attitude of a Christ follower to the actions of a Christ follower. That in the first four beatitudes, they primarily dealt with our vertical relationship with God, our dependence on him, sadness over sin, longing to be right and accepted by him. The second half of these Beatitudes talks about our horizontal relationships with others. Be merciful, be pure, be a peacemaker, even be persecuted. That it's within these eight Beatitudes, Jesus gives us the characteristics of a person who belongs to the kingdom of God. And it's also within these Beatitudes, they do not describe eight different people with eight different gifts or eight different temperaments. Instead, these are eight different characteristics in the same kind of person. So, for example, with our verses here, we can't say that those who are merciful are those who are just more emotional, or those who are merciful or the ones who are more soft-spoken, or the merciful have the Enneagram of helper. That's why they're merciful. No. These eight Beatitudes describe one person, and it's the person who belongs to the kingdom. For a Christ follower, mercy is not a hobby, it is a lifestyle. So for our time today, what I want to do is answer three questions. First, what does it mean to be merciful? Second, why is it hard to be merciful? And then finally, where can we find the power to be merciful? So the first question, what is mercy? Let me define it this way. Mercy is a compassion that acts. Mercy is a compassion that acts. You know, I land on this definition because this is exactly what Jesus modeled with his life. That after Jesus uses the word mercy in chapter 5 or 7, he doesn't use it again for the entire Sermon on the Mount. The next time we see him use the word mercy is in chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. Let me read it to you. Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what's going on here is that Jesus is having a meal with sinners. Specifically, he's eating with Matthew, the author of this gospel. Now, during this time of this meal, Matthew is still a customs tax collector, which meant that every import and export that came in, he would collect taxes for the government, and also for himself. And in that culture, tax collectors were despised. 
they were seen as traitors, crooks, filth of the earth. And it's this kind of person that Jesus calls to follow him and become one of his disciples. So Matthew, being so honored by this, throws a party and invites the only friends that he knows, which are other tax collectors and sinners, and now Jesus. And this creates a tension. Because Jesus, this up-and-coming rabbi, should not be associated with these people. These are not people that you extend compassion to. You don't make friends with them. And when Jesus has a meal with them, that's exactly what he's doing. He's extending the hand of friendship. You don't do this with bad people, with immoral people, with crooks and robbers. So these religious leaders who are spying on Jesus, they just don't get it. In essence, they say to Jesus, Jesus, do you understand who you're eating with right now? They're all sinners. They're unrighteous. They're spiritually filthy. Jesus, don't you know this? So Jesus says to them in Matthew 9, verse 12, It's the sick who need a doctor. I have not come for the righteous, but for sinners. Jesus here shows us what mercy looks like. He shows us a compassion that acts. Notice, Jesus never denies that he's surrounded by sinners or those who are spiritually sick. He knows very well who they are. The Pharisees know who they are. But this is where Jesus is different from them. He sees their sickness and helps them. And the religious leaders see the sickness and they condemn them. It's in this illustration of the sick needing a physician that Jesus uses that he rebukes the religious leaders. Because when you think about doctors, who needs them the most? It's the sick and vulnerable. And here's the irony. These religious leaders who walk around claiming to be spiritual doctors of the day, they claim to know the way to God. They claim to know the light. They claim to be spiritually healthy. They claim to know the way to salvation, yet they do nothing here. Instead, they judge and avoid those who are spiritually hurting. The religious leaders here thought that Jesus was out of his mind, but in the eyes of Jesus, it was the religious leaders who made no sense. That if you call yourself a spiritual doctor, why aren't you here in this room with me right now, eating with them? Why are you hating on them so much? In today's beatitude, Jesus confronts us in the very same way. During this time of the COVID-19 hardship, you see the physical, emotional, and financial, and spiritual helplessness all around us. What are you going to do about it? Will you share your finances, resources, knowledge, connections to help meet physical needs? Or at a spiritual level, you claim to know the way, the truth, and the life. You claim to know the good news. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to share it or keep it for yourself? Jesus shows us through his own example that mercy is not mercy unless it acts. But for many of us, mercy remains just a thought. Sometimes we think, you know, it's the thought that counts. That's what really matters. That is a ridiculous idea. You know, for example, imagine that it's my wedding anniversary. And what if I told my wife, you know, I thought about this gift that you would really like, that you would really love. You talk about it all the time. I know how much it would mean to you, but I didn't get it for you because really it's the thought that counts. She would not be very happy with me. 
Mercy is a compassion that acts. Well wishes is not mercy. Feeling sorry is not mercy. Crying over it is not mercy. Even having a robust theology on what mercy is, is not mercy. Mercy is a compassion that acts. You know, in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, Luke tells a story of a man who's robbed and left for dead. Along comes a priest and he walks to the other side of the road and keeps going. Then you have a Levite, another person of religious heritage, and he keeps going. And then you have a Samaritan, a kind of person that the Jews despised, that these were people who morally compromised themselves by mixing with other cultures, and yet it's this Samaritan who acts on behalf of the helpless person. He puts this person on his animal, pays for his healing, and Jesus finishes this parable by asking, who do you think was the neighbor to this man? And everyone responded, the one who showed mercy. Mercy is a compassion that acts. Mercy is eating with sinners. Mercy means speaking up for the voiceless. Mercy means getting our hands dirty. Mercy means taking time out of your busy day. Mercy means paying those medical bills for others. Mercy means following up with those you care about. Mercy means to persistently pray for others. Now, you might have a question. Well, Kenson, how is prayer mercy? Isn't prayer just words? No. First, when you pray, you're going to the God of the universe who's the only one who can make any real difference in someone's life. So that's always a good thing to pray for others. And secondly, those who persistently pray are often led to action because these are people who are submitted to the Spirit of God. Now, I do want to be careful. I know that we don't have the ability to meet every need that is before us, especially in the city of Chicago where there is need on every single block and corner. We have limited resources, time, and energy. Compassion fatigue is a real thing. However, my concern is not that we're, not, that we're gonna overdo it. My concern is that we're not gonna do anything or expect others to do it. Mercy is not selective. It's not optional or occasional. Mercy is a lifestyle. It's a characteristic proven over time of someone who belongs to the kingdom. Mercy is a compassion that acts. And if I can just say, this is also why as a church, we're involved in things like the adoption fund, caring for our elderly at the senior suites, providing groceries to those in need, benevolence and financial gifts. And also we have a team of ministers in our church called deacons, whom God has called to the ministry of mercy. And during this time of COVID-19, they have been all-stars. Mercy is not mercy unless it acts. Now this leads us to the second question. Why do we have such a hard time being merciful? It's because we don't believe we need mercy. You know, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, when you read this verse at face value, it is a little bit confusing. Does this beatitude teach a works-based salvation that if I'm merciful to others, then God will give me mercy and save me? The answer is no. First, to earn mercy is to contradict the very meaning of mercy. 
Secondly, if God's mercy is completely dependent upon our track record in showing mercy to others, then none of us would receive mercy from God and have eternal life because none of us would have perfect mercy. So what does this verse mean? Being merciful is not a condition for God to show us mercy, but it is a necessary consequence. Let me say that again. Being merciful is not a condition for God to show us mercy, but it is a necessary consequence. Why? It's because God has been merciful to us. Ephesians 2.4 says that God himself is rich in mercies. Lamentations 3.22, it says that God's mercy is new every morning. Exodus 34.6 says, The Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Our God is merciful. He gives the grace of his forgiveness and love to undeserving sinners. And one of the greatest proofs that we have to show that we've received the mercy of God is our willingness to show it to others. And the opposite is equally true. Your unwillingness to show mercy proves that the mercy of God has never landed on your heart. In Matthew 18, There's a story of a master who's settling his accounts. And one of his servants comes to him, and he is in the weeds. That he owes the master 10,000 talents, which is about 20 years of wages. For our purposes, let's just say that it's like a billion dollars. Okay, a billion dollars. And the master says, because of this debt, I'm going to send you and your family into slavery and to go to jail until you pay this off. And the slave servant pleads, be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. Now, that response is interesting and we'll get to that later. So out of pity, the master releases him and forgives this enormous debt, which is incredible. Wow. But then later in the story, this same servant who's just been forgiven this huge debt finds out that one of his fellow servants owes him a denarii one day's wages. Let's just say 200 bucks. And this servant begs for patience, but instead he is thrown into jail by this wicked servant. The master hears this and he is enraged and he says to this wicked and unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, 32 to 34, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. The actions of this wicked servant showed that he was not transformed by mercy. He never really understood how dire his situation was, and thus he took the master's kindness for granted. Once again, what was his response to his master? Give me some time and I will pay you back. This servant never understood the severity of his debt. He thought he could pay it back. How many of you can think that you could pay back a $1 billion debt? You can't. But for this servant to think this is foolish pride. And because this wicked servant was filled with so much pride, it made him vengeful and mean and mercilessness towards others. Do you see? When we deny mercy for others, it's only because we have denied it for ourselves. We don't think we're that bad. 
We don't think we're really in need of that much saving. We think that we can do it all. We think that we can earn God's favor and blessing. This is the kind of heart that doesn't believe that it needs mercy. You know, many of us, even in the midst of this crisis of COVID-19, we are still acting so stubborn and prideful. We refuse the help of others and the help from God. We're not praying. We're not asking others to pray for us because we just don't want to seem weak. But it's in this rejection of mercy, it makes our hearts cold. You know, for example, you see someone who shares the exact same circumstances and they're struggling. A heart that hasn't experienced mercy will say this. What's wrong with you? Get your act together. Work harder. Learn some discipline. Stop being lazy. Look, okay, look, okay, this crisis, it's hard for all of us, but I'm making it work. So get over it and get busy and start getting yourself out of this. <laughs> that is so code. We don't extend mercy because we don't believe we need mercy. Pride will only make us judgmental, impatient, and resentful of other people's struggle and weaknesses. So instead of walking with others in their hardship, we distance ourselves from them. You know, this beatitude in many ways is like an MRI scan. And what I mean by that is that an MRI doesn't fix your problem. It only reveals what's beneath the surface and the severity of the sickness. In the same way, your acts of mercy or lack of mercy is telling you the state of your spiritual health and eternal security. What has COVID-19 done to bring to the surface? What, it has, what has it shown true of our hearts? Everyone can be nice and kind when it's times of peace, but in moments of crisis, they reveal who we truly are and what we truly believe in. You know, here's a little assignment. Ask those that you've been quarantined with these last two months and just ask them, how merciful have I been? Seriously, go ahead right now, pause the video, and ask them, how merciful have I been? You know, some of us don't even need to do this exercise because we already know the answer. We are not always compassionate, and we don't always respond with love and grace. Frankly, we can be pretty poor examples of God's mercy. And this leads us to our third question. Where can we find the power to be merciful? It's because Jesus wanted to cross, wanted to cross to give us mercy and not justice. You know, what I mean by that is that one day all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God and all of us will have to give an account of our lives before him. And in that moment, we will not want justice, we want mercy. Because the only reason you would want justice is if you are right and completely innocent. But here's the thing, before a holy and perfect God, no one will stand before him perfect. All of us will be deserving of punishment and eternal separation. That is justice. So before God, we all want mercy. We want him to forgive us. We want him to remove the debt. But how can God give us mercy without compromising his justice and standard of holiness? He does it by sending us a merciful Savior in Jesus Christ. A Savior who feeds the hungry who gives legs to the crippled, 
sight to the blind. He invited tax collectors and prostitutes into friendship. He touched the untouchable. He loved the unlovable. He forgave those who were considered unforgivable. And was it because they deserved it? No. Was it because they met him halfway? Was it because they took all the proper steps? They prayed all the prayers? They, they, they went to church? No. They could never do enough to earn anything from him. We, we can never do enough to earn mercy from him. And as we've seen again from this message series, the first four Beatitudes build off each other. A spiritual poverty leads to a deep grief over sin, which leads to a posture of humbleness, which leads to a hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. When you look at these first four Beatitudes, they all highlight one truth. We bring nothing of worth before God in our salvation. We can never, ever do enough to earn God's mercy. Yet we are all in need of his mercy. And this is the good news. Jesus goes to the cross. Why? It's because he has compassion that acts. He didn't say with a cold indifference to our sins, give them what they deserve. Instead, he says, give me what they deserve. He doesn't avoid or distance himself from our suffering. Instead, Jesus left the glory of heaven, became like us in every way, taking on the lowest form, a form of a servant, and he suffers like us, dies like us, and is separated from God for us on the cross. Hebrews 2.17 says this, Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be, be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus sees us in our misery and need, and he doesn't just feel bad for us. He takes action to save us and restore us. He becomes our merciful and faithful priest. Jesus is the mercy of God. And this is where we can find the power to be merciful to others. That as we remember the mercy that has been shown to us, that as we remember where we were when Christ found us, when we remember how he rescued us and ransomed us, as we remember his forgiving grace and mercy in our lives, we can now extend mercy, mercy in a costly way towards others because we've received a mercy that cost our Savior's life. This is the power of the good news. No one gives mercy better than the one who is convinced they desperately need God's mercy and has received it. Charles Spurgeon once said this, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light than diminish the great mercy of God. Blessed are those who are merciful. So what's some application here? You know, let me give you three, since this beatitude is all about practical living. So let me just give you three here. First is this. If you want to extend mercy, you have to develop an inward compassion. And we do this primarily by what we just did with that third question, and that's by reflecting upon the mercy of God in our lives. It's by preaching the gospel to ourselves. A second way that we can grow in this inward compassion is by understanding the experience of others. Have you ever realized that it's often much easier to be compassionate towards those who are like us? Because we get them. 
we have a shared experience, we have a shared struggle, but for those that we don't get, it's easier for us to dismiss or get frustrated with them. If you want to develop an inward compassion for others, ask questions. Learn what it means to listen first and speak later. Have the humility to know that you're not an expert on anyone's situation. Be in relationship with these people. You know, for example, some of us never cared about the consequences of COVID-19 or some other illness like cancer until it hit home and landed on our front door. It's when it impacted our lives or someone, else, or someone else's life that we loved, we began to care, raise money for those 5Ks, and take action. You know, growing up for myself, I never understood mental illness, that I thought that it was just people who were overly sensitive. But when depression hit my mom and broke this strong woman, this illness has shaped me as a man and pastor to be more sympathetic and prayerful and to recognize, especially during COVID-19, that our mental health is just as important as food and water. And another example for myself, that I never paid much attention to immigration policy because it wasn't my issue. It wasn't my family's issue. But when someone from my congregation came to me years ago and they shared that they were an illegal immigrant, and how they were fearful for their lives, and how the things I take for granted, like driving a car or, or traveling or, or flying on a plane, was impossible for them. I was in tears. So now when people talk about immigrants and refugees, for me now, there is a face and story to that situation. A big step in developing an inward compassion for others is to put yourself in their shoes. It is very easy to be indifferent to those that you don't know, it's a whole other thing when you call them your friend. Here's the second application. Mercy means taking risks. You know, one of the things about mercy is that it has a way of leaving you vulnerable. You know, what if you help someone and they take advantage of you? You know, what if it leaves you in a worse spot than you were before? There is always a risk when we extend mercy because there's always some cost to it. There's an emotional cost, or a financial cost, or a mental cost, or all of these at the same time. But this shouldn't stop you from extending mercy because it didn't stop Christ. Jesus knew that to extend mercy to us was not just going to cost him his reputation and comfort. He knew that it was going to cost him his life, and he still gave it. Mercy is risky and a costly action. It needs to be courageous. It needs to be willing to be troubled by the trouble of others. It needs to make room for our schedules to be destroyed. Mercy requires a willingness to have your life distressed by the weakness of others. Mercy is risky and costly. And here's the third application. Extend mercy through forgiveness. Extend mercy through forgiveness. You know, as a culture, we're not really good at this. You know, for example, we have this thing called a cancel culture. You know, this is where a public figure does or says something offensive, and then there's a public backlash, and it's a call to cancel the person and effectively end their career and reputation. Now, in some cases, this has been right and justified for those who have built their careers abusing and exploiting the vulnerable. But in other cases, where there has been genuine remorse, repentance, 
life transformation and years of consistently showing contrition, no one cares. That in, in our culture's mind, once you've done the wrong, it is the scarlet letter that you're going to wear forever. My concern with the cancel culture is that it has become a practice within the church. That we can treat others dismissively, wish the worst for them, savor in their misery. This should never be the first impulse of a merciful heart. Now, this doesn't mean that you hide the hurt and sadness or pretend that nothing happened. The Bible never calls you to that. Instead, mercy demands that we take the pain and hurt very seriously and lay that grief at the cross and entrust it to God. That when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. How could Jesus say this to the very people who were killing him? It's because he entrusted his father to be righteous in his judgment. And when Jesus gave up the right to be judge and executioner, then he could become a forgiver. In the same way, is there a broken relationship that needs your forgiveness to heal? In mercy, would you extend it? You know, Rick Warren, a pastor in California, said this, you will never be asked to forgive someone more than God has forgiven you. Now, this doesn't mean that you become a doormat to this other person. Mercy can mean relational boundaries, hard truths, you know, severe consequences. But now in mercy, your aim is not vengeance, is not allowing your heart to grow bitter or cold. Mercy means moving towards this other person with love and tenderness. You know, let me close with this. In Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Jesus says, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. You know, A.W. Tozer, a Chicago pastor, once said this, Mercy is not something God has, but something God is. During this time of hardship and need in our city, we have an unprecedented time to reflect the mercy of our God through practical and costly care for others. Because when we gladly extend mercy to others, we proclaim a Savior who gladly gave it for us. And we can all say amen at home. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you that in Scripture that we read that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That we didn't receive mercy because we earned it, we didn't receive mercy because we were strong. We received mercy because you have a compassion that acts. That, Father, one of the first ways that you describe yourself is that you are a merciful God. So, Father, would you help us as Christ followers, would you help us as the church to be merciful, to be able to show a radical and costly and risky kind of mercy, to be able to show the mercy that was shown to us on the cross. Father, we do not have the energy, the power, the strength to do it on our own. So, Father, would your spirit within us, wherever we're at, whatever circles that we're in right now, Father, would you help us and propel us to do just that and to extend mercy and for us to experience the blessing of what it means to be merciful. God, we love you. It's in your sons that we pray. Amen. Friends, again, great to spend this morning with you. Let me give you this word of blessing as you all head out. Now to him we can do more than we can ever ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church, in this city, and in Christ Jesus 
for all generations. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a blessed and merciful week. That's it.